And thank you very much, band. That's the first time y'all played that one, right? That's a good one. I like it. Should do it again sometime. Pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Nice sentiments, exactly. Uh, well, hello, everybody. Hi. Hey. Uh, my name is Johnny. Uh, for those that you that didn't hear that outburst a second ago, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. So glad you're in worship on behalf of uh, all of us volunteers and staff here at United Student Ministries. Uh, just good to see you. Um, if this is your first time here and we didn't get a chance to meet you, we'd love to do so. So be sure to, to stop us. We'll be out there on your way out and say hello. We'd love to, to learn your name. So we're in the middle of a series called Seven, uh, if you were unaware. Um, and if you missed, we've, we've been doing this for two weeks now. This is week three. If you've missed any of those, you can go to firstmethodistmansfield.org slash media and, and listen to all past sermons. Um, and so those are up there if you want to get a little quick refresher. Uh, but I'm going to give you an even shorter refresher now just to catch you up if this is your first time. So we called this series Seven uh, because we're referencing these comparisons. Uh, and it's really, it, it's really about two paths. So really, we just kind of led you astray with the number, right? It's really two paths. There's this path that leads to, uh, to death, a uh, path that leads to life, right? And so the reason we called it seven is we're really using the seven deadly sins um, as this um, kind of vehicle for describing um, the things that, that these comparisons that we're going to have. Uh, but really, it's about two paths. It's about choosing life or choosing death spiritually, spiritual life, spiritual death. Sin is the path that leads to death, and we talked about this the past couple weeks. Uh, sin uh, is the tendencies that we have um, as human beings. That's why we, um, uh, we like to describe it as tendencies, because it is something we tend to do, right? We don't wake up going, I'm so excited, I'm going to sin the heck out of today, you know. <laughs> Watch out, day, I'm about to sin it up. You know, we, <laughs> it's just a tendency. We, we fall into these tendencies and these faults, you know. We, we, don't, we want to do good. We want to do good things, but we often find ourselves falling into these habits or behaviors that are, are not as good, right? Um, and they, what they really do, what sin does is a behavior or a tendency that doesn't make God not love you. God loves you no matter what. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what the, the scriptures say. But what sin does is us actively removing ourselves from God's presence. It's us isolating ourselves. And when our souls are separated from God, when we isolate ourselves from, from our creator, they begin to disintegrate. That's what we mean by death. They begin to disintegrate and we find ourselves in a place that isn't good. Uh, ancient theologians identified seven root sins as the basis for all sort of sinful action. And these seven deadly sins are this. Uh, pride, which we talked about two weeks ago. Envy, talked about last week. Sloth, we'll talk about this week. Uh, greed, lust, wrath, and gluttony. And, and for those of you in here, you've seen some of these words before. Some of them you haven't. Some of them you have an idea about what they are. Um, but we're going to talk real in depth about what each of these things really mean. Take them deeper than we probably know. But when these tendencies are given authority in our lives, when we allow pride to rule our life unchecked, uh, envy, lust, greed, sloth, wrath, gluttony, any of these, when these tendencies are given authority, our spirits begin to disintegrate. Because it needs God. Our soul needs God to be nourished. But Christ is the path to life. 
So if you get nothing out of these seven weeks, these are the things you need to know. That sin leads to death, Christ needs the life. There we go, done. I really could just shut up now, but, but I'm not going to. I worked really hard on this, so uh, I'm going to keep talking. Christ is the path to life. When we make Christ our Savior, the Lord of our life, when we put Him first, when we follow His steps, when we dedicate ourselves to living His way of life, our spirit is joined with God, and it becomes filled again. It becomes nourished. The tricky part is that these seven tendencies that we mentioned earlier seem to be much more natural. They seem, like I said before, they seem to be the things that we just kind of fall into easily. They just come kind of naturally to us. And, and, and we live in a world that, that kind of promotes a lot of these things. When we talked about pride, we live in a world that says it should be all about you. Everything you do, everything that exists should be about you. You come first. Do what's best for number one, right? But we talked about how God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is, is flipped upside down from that, that conventional worldly wisdom, right? It's different. Yet we find that when we follow that path, when we follow Christ's path, we do find the life that that other path was promising but can't deliver. So, um, I want to tell you, here's the... Uh, Christ, when he, when he does his first sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, he actually lays out kind of this idea of the kingdom of heaven, and he lists, it's called the Beatitudes, and he lists out this whole thing, these blessed bees, um, and this is kind of where Christ turns that conventional wisdom on its head, right? Uh, it goes something like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this week we're going to talk about sloth, and we're going to talk about this idea of hunger a hunger for righteousness. So first and foremost, what is sloth? That is a sloth. Uh, cute baby sloth, I might add. Uh, by the way, if you just YouTube cute sloths, I mean, you could spend hours. In Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, apparently there's a sloth sanctuary. I don't know, where people just rescue sloths, I guess. I don't know. And hang out with them all day. It's pretty awesome, not going to lie. Um, so, so, so no, I mean, yes, yes, this is a sloth, but no, this is not the sloth we are going to be talking about. <laughs> Some of you may have heard this word before, outside of it being an animal, um, and understand it to be laziness, right? Anybody heard that before? Sloth equals laziness, uh, which is true, but it does, I don't think that quite, paints a complete picture of what sloth really is. Sloth isn't simply laziness, or mere laziness, as I wrote it before. That sounds smarter. It's not mere laziness. It is indifference. It's not simply laziness. And I think lazy, I think somebody just laid up on the couch all day in their sweatpants, watching, binge-watching their favorite show on Netflix, which I do from time to time. And though that may be laziness, that's not really sloth. Doing that every now and again is not 
going to ruin my life. It's not sending me down the path of spiritual death. But when we have indifference, indifference toward my world, indifference toward my neighbors, indifference toward my soul, it's wasteful. It's wasteful because it, uh, it doesn't take full advantage of the life we've been given. Right? You've been given this one life to live. And when we're indifferent about that life, it's wasteful. So let me give you an example from Scripture. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Gospel meaning good news, really the stories of Jesus is what you can think of when you hear Gospel. The stories of Jesus. Uh, and Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And you turn to chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. Jesus tells a story. Now Jesus was prone to do this, right? People would ask him, Jesus... Say something smart, you know, and Jesus would then tell a story. And people are like, what? Like, you know, they rarely ever got him. But Jesus found that the complexities and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven was really hard to explain. So he would tell these stories to try to paint a picture and let you kind of figure it out for yourself. So this is one of those stories. We call them parables. And this is the parable of the talents. So uh, I'm just going to kick it off right here. Again, Again, it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, uh, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. If you're wondering what a talent is, I'll tell you in just a little bit. Then he went on his journey. He left. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more doubled his money. Uh, Let's see, where are we? Uh, So also the one that had two talents gained two more. He also doubled his money. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five also. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, Now I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest at least. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, 
and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's start with the obvious. What the heck is a talent? We know what a talent is today, but what is a talent back then? A talent was a a measurement, a weight, right? And it was used to weigh money, currency. Um, It was about, I don't know, I don't remember if it's 75 pounds or 75 kilograms. It's one of those two. Um, But that's not important. The important part was that it was weight. And, and because back then, you, precious metals were actually the currency. You actually exchanged silver and gold and copper and bronze and things like that. Um, weight was important because the more gold you have, the heavier it was. And so they would have bags and they would weigh them, and that's kind of how you figured out what it was. So, um, so a talent does represent a value just depending on what, um, what it was you're weighing. A talent uh, was about 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii, and a silver denarii was about a day's wage. So when you worked for a day, you got a silver denarii. And a talent is worth 6,000 days worth of work. See, when I first heard this parable when I was a kid and for the longest time, I pictured talent, I was like, oh, it's probably some sum of money. Like, he probably handed this one five bucks, and that one two bucks, and that one a dollar. And what's the big deal if he buried the dollar in the ground? Like, wham, big deal. But when you think about 6,000 days worth of work is just one talent, that becomes a much bigger deal. So using today's values, minimum wage here in Texas is $7.25, I think. And a normal work day is about eight hours. That equals $58 a day. Multiply that by 6,000 and you get $348,000. That's one talent. Two talents would then be $696,000. And the one that was given five talents was given, in today's figures, roughly $1.74 million. Changes the story a little bit. It changes the story when a master who has this much money, has this kind of wealth, is going to leave. He's going to go out of town and he's looking at his servants and he says, You, you're... I mean, you're a pretty skillful guy. I'm going to give you $1.74 million. Watch it for me, please. And you over here, I'm going to give you almost 700000 Please, just take care of it, right? And you, you're not the brightest, you know, but I'll give you three hundred, almost $350,000 and see what you can do with it. I'll be back, guys. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> And the guy comes back that had five talents, doubled the money. Doubled his money. 3.48, right, math? 3.48 million dollars. I, I, I picture the servant holding it out and saying, look what I did. Like, how do you hold all that? <laughs> He's just under it all. I got it. So these, these servants were entrusted with lots of money and are expected to put it to use. And the first two servants invest the money. They go out and work hard with it. They go out and invest the money. In money. They take big risks. They put themselves out there. Can you imagine if the one with five talents lost any of that? 
Whoops. <laughs> Master, you give me five. I have one and a half. <laughs> they took big risks. They went out and they worked hard with it. They took the money. They took these talents and they went out and put it to work because they said, the Master has entrusted me with this. I'm going to go out and do work with it. And they were rewarded for their efforts. They got to sit at their master's table and share in his happiness. The last servant, on the other hand, invests his talent in the meaningless, worthless dirt. This servant, whether out of fear or actual laziness, uh, does absolutely nothing with the talent that he was given. And the master might as well have not even given it to him in the first place because he did nothing with it. And it's because of this, the the wicked and lazy servant is cast out into the darkness, is sent away. He is now outside. He's isolated. He's alone. He's empty. We talk often about um, these two paths, death and life, um, hell and heaven, as being alone and empty and and isolated, and, and heaven is about community. It's about a bringing together. It's about a fullness. The present-day use of the word talent uh, to indicate ability or, or gift is derived from not only this parable, but that idea of the talents being worth something. And we've all been entrusted with talents. Even some of you in this room are thinking, I'm, I'm not really good at anything. The truth is you are. You may not have discovered it yet, but you have a gift. You, you have talent. But how are you investing those? Are you coming up empty? Coming up empty-handed in front of the master? Or are, are you unfulfilled? Jesus says this, though. If you want to be filled, then I need you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. People will do crazy things when they're hungry. I mean really hungry. I'm not just like right now, you know, I only ate four corn dogs, and so I'm still a little hungry. I can't, I'm not. (laughs) Four corn dogs is too much. Not that kind of hungry, but I'm talking really hungry. I love to watch those survival shows. Does anybody watch survival shows? I don't watch them too much anymore, but I love to watch them. And we see, I would see people eat the craziest, most disgusting things because they're hungry. I see people, like, drink bat blood and stuff like that. It's gross. Crazy things. People do crazy things when they're hungry, when they're starving. Things that you and I would never dream of eating. There was even this book. Uh, or a series of books now becoming a series of movie called The Hunger Games. Anybody heard of it? Uh, I know it's, it's kind of a, kind of obscure, um, but it's called The Hunger Games, in which teenagers fight to the death so that their district can have food. Right? Crazy. People do crazy things when they're hungry. People who are, who are hungry or thirsty will actively pursue. That's that which will satisfy that hunger or thirst. Follow me? People who are hungry or thirsty will actively pursue something to quench that, that hunger 
or that thirst. They will navigate some of the toughest obstacles. They will summon a bravery that they didn't know that they had. They stop wasting time and energy on things that are not important and relentlessly pursue that which will fill them. You're doing it right. (laughs) That's happening. (laughs) Blessed, blessed are those that take that approach to righteousness. Blessed are those who actively pursue right living. Blessed are those who bravely take the right path. Blessed are those who relentlessly reach for the life that is made right. Blessed are those who are not content with simply letting life happen but are willing to risk it all for the fullness that Christ promises. For they will be filled. Blessed are those who invest their lives in things that matter instead of burying them in things that don't. Blessed are those who invest their lives in things that matter instead of burying them in the things that don't. Sloth is a path that leads to death. It is a hell-like condition because those that choose it, those that choose sloth, those that choose indifference toward life, fail to actually live. They become indifferent about their, their neighbors and their friends. I mean, they're there, but I, you end up investing yourself in those things that don't really matter, and you fail to actually live life. But to hunger and thirst for righteousness, though, is to actively pursue life and then be filled because of it. It is investing our talents in the work of the kingdom and not simply burying in in the dirt that fills us up. There's a quote um, from a late writer uh, and social commentary uh, commentator. Her name is Irma Bombeck. Love this quote. When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. I used everything you gave me. So the question is, where are you investing your life? In what things have you dedicated yourself to? Your talents, are you putting them to use? Or are we simply burying them in the dirt? Here's the other cool thing about being filled when, when you hunger and thirst for that righteousness, when you actively pursue that life made right, walking that path toward Christ, when you actively pursue those things that really matter and you become filled, fullness overflows. You ever been not paying attention and like filling up a cup or something in your sink or whatever and it begins to overflow? That's what happens to us, our spirits, our souls. When we become actively pursuing that life, pursuing that righteousness, and we become filled, fullness begins to overflow. It begins to spill out onto those around us. It becomes noticed. People become inspired by you. And they begin searching for that path. They begin to hunger and thirst for that righteousness because they see you in the life that you have. Fullness overflows. So where are you investing your life? Really, how do you spend your time? Where do you dedicate your energy? Are they the things that will matter 10 days from now? 
Are there things that will matter 10 years from now? Where are you investing your life? Let's pray. Great God above, we thank you so much for this gift of life. We thank you for the opportunity to live it here, God, with our friends and our family. God, we thank you for your presence in this place as we come to to have fun, God, to sing songs, to hear from your word. God, we pray that we are given the energy to seek that righteous life. God, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, to be close to you. God, we want our lives to matter. We were given one. We want to make it count. We thank you for the, the gifts and the talents that you have given us, God. Pray that we put them to use. God, that we not just bury them in the dirt. We want our lives to matter. Because to you, our lives do matter. They have value. Let us put them to use. In your name we pray. Amen.